Hello there, welcome to another episode of the Soapy Rao Show. In this episode of the podcast, we're going to talk about terms and conditions. Hey, welcome to this episode. Sitting in the month of the year, uh, sitting in the month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Uh, you know, reading uh, and following all the stuff which is going on in Britain, suddenly England is Britain, with um, Elizabeth II, Queen Elizabeth II. There's so much ritual and there's so much grandeur and there's so much formality and there's so much procedure with things like that, right? It uh, one, Initially, I was like, oh, come on, guys, get over it, right? But there is something to it. Like, that's what gives that group of people, country, hope. Uh, and, of course... Um, I don't know, because I, I read a lot of this uh, kind of historical fiction. So it, a lot of it is set in these um, situations where you have the monarchs, you have these various uh, kings and queens, you have these things. Of course, you guys have probably listened to or watched Game of Thrones and um, even the Lord of the Rings and now, of course, the Rings of Power and... Uh, I think there is this 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 sense um, of pretty. You know, I don't know what to feel about it. I mean, fuck it, right? I mean, I'm not English, but at the same time, I'm not like feeling a sense of loss because of the monarch who's. But I mean, she must be. She must have been who she was. Uh, she was a mother, a grandmother. Besides other things, she was a human being. She was a woman. Of course, let's not go down that path. I'm not taking away from. Uh, full life that she lived and what she did and what she didn't do. I haven't chronicled it. I haven't documented it. I think it may be amazing. I don't know. I'm not commenting on that part of it. But I think what is really uh, strange, right, is this whole this whole idea of how people step up and they have to be seen to say the thing like Joe Biden or uh, politicians. That's by, by poor Joe Biden. I mean, dude, he must be shitting his pants going oh fuck she still now she was the oldest <laughs> now it's me <laughs> it's like shit but she was so poised she could man speak so well hello mike i'm not i'm not imitating i, I don't know what she sounded like but he must be like oh damn it i had someone to point to now point back the three pointing back at you and uh, he must be like yeah shit uh that's my daughter screaming. I don't think she enjoyed that joke. But the thing which um, is interesting is all the things that attach to it, right? Like how the funeral is arranged, how the, the, the coffin is to move from a certain place, certain place. And um, then you read about the family. Then, you know, fucking Megan, of course, has to make her thing felt. And Harry, uh, they all came running. And I, I just find the way it's reported very interesting, very fucking annoying in some way. And then, of course, the 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 guy who fiddled around with young girls, Andrew, is like, he's not supposed to wear a uniform, but he will be in the procession. Like, come on, dude. <laughs> like, who the fuck cares? Like, this lady was what she was. Of course, there were a lot of speculations when Princess Diana was killed in the car crash or with involvement in the royal family. All that things there. But for the most part, a royal old lady who lived a full life. Good. But uh, there's too many buts in this. But I, I think it's pretty pretty cool um, for someone, and I've spoken about this, having this position for so many years. I, I think now I read somewhere that the oldest monarch is the someone in, in Denmark. I forget her name. 
See, no one cares it's in England because I think I also read news from based in the the Guardian, which is in the US. Sorry, the UK. The UK. But when I'm reading a book which is set, like say, like The War of the Roses and that's sort of like your 12th, 13th century. Um, and that book, that series, at least the one I'm reading, the series by Connie Gilden, ends with the Tudor family taking over the reign of England. That's pretty cool to finish that book and then pick up The Guardian and read about a lady who's descended from the same family. That's pretty fantastic that it's still alive. I'm not talking about its effectiveness. I'm not talking about how it's a drain on the purse and how a lot of the land is theirs and how much a drain on taxpayers. I don't know. I'm not a fucking economist. I'm not a social sociologist. I am a sociologist by education, but I've not applied any of it. If you fucking saw my final paper, it was actually the paper I wrote when I graduated or for my major uh, in college was about how the IT industry has empowered women in Bangalore. Who the fuck thought I had insight? I clearly did. Shit paper. But anyway, the topic was cool. And that's why I live for titles. I was my comedy special. I just write the name of the special and I forget about it. I'm like, hey, just use the same material. (laughs) But... I find that uh, pretty fantastic, that uh, pretty romantic, let's call it that. It's pretty like ball-ticklingly cozy that there's this thing that you can connect. Like, hey, I know a person who lived in my time who knows your uncle's grandfather, bro. That's what I feel like telling the characters in the book when I'm listening to it. I know your great, 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 in my my dad's side, beyond my maternal great-grandfather. No clue. No clue whether it was a monkey. No clue whether it was a chimpanzee. A Kanadiga Brahmin chimpanzee. <laughs> uh, Mum's side, beyond. Like my, 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 my dad's dad, I just know, that's it, grandfather. My mum's, that's it grandfather grandmother don't know anything so for like this archibald or what a name dude like archibald and all the other kate and williams it's like fuck these kids are reading book going that's my grand okay i'm not gonna do it again yeah so what do you think about your family tree uh do you know because there's a way apparently now giving your DNA and finding out if you're one-third monkey, two-thirds uh, Spanish, four-thirds Caucasian, and six-thirds Martian. I don't know if I'm going to do that because suddenly what if it turns out like, yeah, you are one-ninth Neanderthal and uh, nine-fifteenth Denison. Denisodian? Deniso something. Yeah. It's weird. That's this kind of stuff they're finding, dude. They found the something which is uh, proof of how the first surgery was done five hundred thousand years back. Another thing that oh, that man, uh, that, that that our ancestors 
walked upright as far back as 260 million years back. Like, fuck. Then the worst part is if they found someone's tooth <laughs> in the permafrost. I'm like, imagine that guy probably had worse teeth in his in his in his village. Uh, maybe had the best teeth. Who knows if it had survived this many million years? Maybe had the worst set of teeth and like never was posing for selfies because fucking crooked smile had gap tooth motherfucker. Uh, everyone laughed at him. He couldn't fucking get any Tinder dates in his in his tribe. But he had one tooth. And that's all he lived and died with at the end. Uh, all his crooked teeth fell. He was gummying. Um, that, that's what he did because no one, everyone ostracized him in society. So he used to give like, you know, head to old village elders because they liked the gummy. No teeth. Um, look. And that's all he died with. And then millions of years later, um, did I just talk about a Neanderthal blowing the village elders? I did. This podcast gives you everything. And there was one tooth. And he said, ah, that's my dignity. I'm going to, I've lived a miserable life. I've been mocked for my bad teeth. I've been um, ostracized. I haven't got laid. And this is how it is. <laughs> giving head at the end. And that's it. He's put to rest. And everything else decays except his fucking tooth. <laughs> that's <laughs> Oof. I'm glad we burn our dead in India, dude. Because I don't want any of these nosy buggers, astro- astrologists, no, archaeologists, finding something of mine later, like, like you know, like my eye socket or something, or my tailbone, or who knows. Fortunately, penises don't have bones. <laughs> On that note, gonna keep it there, just to chill and simmer. Um, I have a lovely guest on today's episode. I say that, but I genuinely think all my guests are lovely. And today I've got Lailstone from Southern Australia. Sorry if I said it like an Australian. I don't say it properly. But Lailstone um, is someone who specializes and who helps parents understand their children. And she helps families and helps parents child communication and she believes in compassion and communication these two things and she helps with behavior Uh, she's a behavioral therapist and she helps with understanding the growth of child child no growth of children oh sorry this fucking recording uh sorry about that uh yes how to understand emotional maturity she helps parents understand their own past as children through the role of parenting and a lot more you can check her out all her work on her website of course details in the description and you can enjoy the conversation before that before you head anywhere and click on any clickety clickety things you must stay tuned for my conversation with the lovely Lailstone from australia as always thank you for listening appreciate you for tuning into this podcast week in week out till next time goodbye god bless take care of yourselves Long live Sobi Rao. Cheers. Catch you on the other side. Lailstone, welcome to the Sobi Rao show. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I feel really good asking you how to pronounce your name because otherwise, otherwise I would butcher it. Just been like, ah, la, la, li. <laughs> so thanks for helping <laughs> I, I out. I often joke, I've, I've spent most of my name, ex, um, most of my life explaining my name. And now mm. I kind of answer to anything. So if somebody just says, I'm like, yeah, is that me? You after? Yeah. <laughs> you know, the weirdest thing is I, I'm awful at spelling, right? So the thing is that I, 
I'm more phonetic because I've never sort of, um, I mean, I've read, but I'm kind of not really a big spelling person. You know, mm-hmm. contrary to popular opinion, as an Indian, I can't spell. What the hell's happening? No, but uh, <laughs> I uh, remember once on a call, someone said, "Can you give me your email address?" And I said, "It's Sopi Rao. That's S O A P Y R A O." And she's like, "Can you spell that down to me? Like break it down?" And I was like, "Of course." Like Sierra, Oscar, Apple, Paris, <laughs> and when it came to Y. I just blanked out, right? Yeah, yeah. And I went Wyoming, and she's like, "Excuse me, <laughs> what?" <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I totally get it. I, I don't really spell out my name anymore because I'm like yellow. That's much better than Wyoming, which That's is huge. completely yes. a W. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, anyways, I get you. I get you. Thank you so much for joining me all the way from Victoria. And uh, how are things in Australia? Because. It almost seems when you read the news like uh, the world is just uh, either on fire or flooding or <laughs> something yes. or the other or rats. Yes. Uh, there's a crazy uh, rat uh. issue in Australia. So um, yeah. it's, it's almost sometimes good to talk to an individual as opposed to reading the news. Yes. You know? Well, I think it's it's been a pretty rough few years for a lot of mm-hmm. people. We had fires just before COVID kind of happened and then COVID seemed to, you know, we went into a bit of a lockdown as a country here in a pretty harsh way, which was pretty extreme. And then we had big floods in another part of Australia. So mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's often a lot happening here. I mean, we kind of have extreme weathers here. We have really, really hot, you know, and 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 we have to be very mindful of fires. Got a lot of bush here, country, or yeah, sometimes the opposite. So, but where I live in Australia, I mean, Australia is absolutely massive. It's a very huge mm. country. Yeah. Um, you know, I live right down down by the coast, near the next to the beautiful beach. So, you know, we live in a nice idyllic part of the world. So everything is lovely down here for the moment. So, you know, that's hang good. about, wait and see. <laughs> yeah. I think that's sort of what's happening, right? We kind of sit here reading the news and we're so connected through um, international news broadcasters or whatever the app you use for your news and it's almost like I'm sitting here and I'm getting Australian news but it's mm. that's sort of the wrong way to look at it because as you said it's so large it's got mm. such diverse ecosystems the climate is mm-hmm. also so different from city to city maybe not just region yes. to region and like even in India like you a couple of my friends who live in the UK, they're like, is everything okay with the floods? And I'm like, where? You know, I'm sitting, <laughs> where are I'm the floods? Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> I'm sitting like 4,000 yeah. feet above sea level. So Bangalore yeah, yes. is safe uh, yeah. because we yes. have rain. But it, at the same yeah. time, it's it's it, you can't just put one entire nation under one of kind of brushstroke. But mm. the thing with Australia, is it, it's especially when it comes to like, you know, the, the bigger countries, it's Australia, New Zealand in, in your uh, part of the world. I mean, of course, then you have the Pacific Islands and uh, those countries and those regions. But it's almost like you have your own ecosystem when it comes to the like the oceans and the, the, the like, especially during the lockdown, it felt mm. like, oh, it's so far away. And it, it is really far to get to. But how was the the entire approach? Because it it seems like you said, of course, you're on the beach, you have a lovely time of it. But did did it feel like you were more isolated as a person mm-hmm. living uh, in in that part of the world? It's interesting. I think because we're an island, I think mm-hmm. Australia gets very careful of their borders, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for a lot of long time, people weren't allowed in, people weren't allowed out. Mm-hmm. I think Australia as a country gets very protective of because we are a, a huge, huge island. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, it depends on which part of Australia you lived in, you know, the, the people who were kind of governing those different parts of Australia had different approaches to stuff. And Australians are pretty laid back people mm-hmm. and they often kind of just get told what to do and often do it. So <laughs> there, was, yeah, yeah. there was a lot of compliance on some levels and then there was other people going, hang on, what, what is this all about and is this yeah. right? And, and we're such a massive country, like 
our land is so, so huge and, mm. you know, we have nowhere near the population of what you guys do have over there. It's Can very I send a few of us? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's um, it was an interesting time. I think it was an interesting time for everybody around the world these last few years and, um, you know, it was, it was work with the state I lived in. We were locked down for a long time. Probably I think the reports I said was the longest lockdown in anywhere in the world, um, our, our state, and so and that meant we, we weren't allowed to go more than five kilometres from our home and our children weren't at school and all sorts of things. That was very challenging. It was, it was a very uh, big thing for a lot of people's mental health. Yeah, I work as a therapist, so I was just inundated with people not coping, feeling really powerless. You know, people yeah. weren't able to work. It was, it was, a, it was a very big thing for for people who live in the West that usually have a pretty privileged life on some level. It was, it brought up a lot of adversity for people. You know, I think almost uh, this idea of development and progress and technological access to technological advancement it almost seemed like it while of course it helped people with calls like this uh, working from home zoom calls etc or even talking to their therapist online or talking mm -hmm. to their family online I almost feel from you know a couple of the instances where um, isolation is a factor it felt like it it opened up the, the the gap or the, the 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 avenue opened up more for phones to come in or smartphones or smart tablets to kind of make itself more indispensable in in our lives mm. and yes. i think that almost um opened the cracks in the mind i mean and this is something i was talking uh, to a friend about how the mind is never been at so much under so much sort of uh threat from devices right typically like we do yes. uh, the mind should be a tool of our consciousness and the mind should then control other tools but it's almost like the tool is controlling the mind like the phone is controlling the mind and the mind is controlling us and we become a mess in many ways right with addiction to social media or mm -hmm. these 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 things so maybe i i know it's a bit of a vague uh, question if it if at all but with your work you've done as a therapist and also in child development and also uh, maybe we'll get to that aspect of it in a bit but what, what have you witnessed with um, the impact of relationship or impact on relationships uh, and the way technology has kind of taken a stronger hold on people and maybe on the individual level because obviously we can't make blanket statements in these uh, yeah. sort of affairs, right? Mm. Yeah, it's a really good question and one that I've seen and, and something I talk about a lot with parents in regards mm -hmm. to children is that um, when we don't really want to deal with life or perhaps when we don't have the tools to express our feelings or navigate the tricky things in life, mm. our default is to move towards repressing our feelings. And we we do that by looking for things that we can do so that we don't have to feel. Now, that can sometimes be eating lots. It could be drinking a lot of wine. It could be, um, it could be being online and just like gaming. It could be, you know, online shopping. It could be, you know, using phones and stuff like that. And, and there is no doubt that technology plays into these parts of us that want to repress our feelings in a huge way. So, mm -hmm. you know, on one level, technology is brilliant because it allows us to connect all over the world. You know, we're yeah. having a conversation in two different countries right now. We can see each other. It allows us to connect with families. It allows us to take business on a whole other level. There is some brilliance about technology. But the impact, I think, on the human spirit, particularly in the network of a family and particularly when I talk a lot about connection, mm. we see that the impact of technology creates massive repression mechanisms within people. So 
And we see this from little kids around the age of two or three. Yeah. When a, a little one's upset, we might put an iPad or a phone in front of their face so they can watch a, a show or an animation or a cartoon or something on it, and then they're quiet and then we don't have to deal with them. And then yeah. that becomes something that we just go, oh, at least they're quiet and they're not bothering me. I'll just keep giving that to them. Yeah. And so then our children become quite addicted to needing a screen all the time to entertain themselves. So they find it very difficult to be bored or to just be outside in nature and those kind of things. And then, of mm. course, for us as adults, you know, when we don't want to deal with life, we can just sit there and scroll on Instagram for three hours, right? And we're looking yeah. at a whole lot of mindless stuff that actually doesn't have any relevance to us. And then we might get into comparison of that person's life looks better than mine. And and it, and it can be a bit of a vicious cycle that goes on for people. And so I think technology has created on some level connection and a lot of disconnection. And a, and a mm. lot of that disconnection, I think, is disconnection with the self. So the that we we just check out when I don't want to deal with something. Well, what can I do now? You know that I, I guess you know I'm 47. You know, so many years ago when I was a teenager and stuff growing up, we obviously didn't have the internet, mm -hmm. so it looked a bit different for us, right? We had a lot more time to be bored. We had a lot more time where we had to connect. We'd go to a friend's house and we'd sit there and talk and listen to music and all those kind of things. Whereas a lot mm -hmm. of we see where the teenagers today they get together and they're in the same room but they're on their phones. Right? And, I just witnessed that last week with uh, yeah. someone in my family you know just the, the yeah. two of them like oh we haven't seen each other in two years hug each yeah. other oh did you see this tiktok reel i'm like yeah yeah, yeah yeah <laughs> so there's there's places of connection which can be incredible with that but it also is creating i think a barrier on one level to really being intimate and connecting with other humans mm. and on the other level it's also acting as a tool so that we can numb out a lot so we don't actually have to feel what we're feeling and mm. then that becomes a bigger issue as well and so i think um you know it's it's like anything in life balance is really important it's yeah. like it's okay to have some sugar but it's not okay to have sugar all the time mm. and it maybe is okay to have some alcohol but not lots and lots of alcohol and it's the mm. same with technology it's okay and it's wonderful because it can help us access a lot of stuff yet when we're using it every hour of our life and we're doing it just so we don't have to feel and that's when it becomes a big issue yeah it's it's so weird right like that same device that let these kids c connect from different parts of the world is separating them within the same room Mm -hmm. It's very interesting. And you know what happens? Uh, I want to ask you, like, with this idea of feeling, right? Mm -hmm. We numb it in small doses, right? Every time we get rejection, we kind of turn to, say, for instance, if it's like Tinder, we get swipe left on an app, then we go to another app where we might get a swipe right. And it's kind of like almost we're being uh, bounced around in different directions or kind of um, being, we're actually pushing ourselves away in a way. And the reason I ask you about feeling is, you know, I told you before we started recording about my eye condition and when I said we, may, we can maybe use my example as um, just to address the idea of feeling is many times sort of like in, in my case, right? Like um, the it happened so long ago when I was eight, I really couldn't really process what I felt uh, with losing this sort of sense overnight, right? Like a lot of my eyesight was gone. So uh, as a kid, you can't really put words saying separation, anxiety, or worrying uh, about abandonment or whatever. Uh, you look back in therapy and you're like, yeah, these things make sense. But you kind of are forced to hold on to that particular aspect of loss when in, in my case, it's the disability or the vision loss. But maybe, you know, it, it, what happened for me is that was just sort of the 
thing that was visible. But a lot of the other stuff that happened under the surface was not something I addressed because I kept going back to the eye condition. Oh, I can't see, I can't see, I can't see. That was my, um, if you want to call it, the, the, the visible issue that was causing all these various things. But actually, there's so many other things which were deeper and which needed to be addressed, which I did, fortunately. And the eye condition is just something that you use because it's something that people can connect to. Does that make any sense? It definitely makes sense. I think mm. as humans, we're very complex and we are mm. emotional feeling beings. And I think the the what we get told a lot in the world, and this is in many, many, it translates through many cultures, is that be happy and think positive. And mm. if you're upset, well, just, you know, put a smile on your face or move on or, you know, that's not acceptable. Don't cry. Don't be mm. upset. Don't be angry. And I think for a very, very long time we have discounted those feelings, but they're actually just normal parts of being a human, mm. being upset, being frustrated, feeling grief, all those kind of things. Yet uh, many of our cultures are deeply uncomfortable with feelings. We don't know how to be with them. And so what we learn to do, particularly when we become parents, is we learn to tell our children when they're upset, oh, you've got nothing to be upset about and move on or, you know, don't cry, it's not okay. And and then we actually get conditioned to to learn, well, it's not safe for me to feel. So, mm. and that kind of ties into what we were talking about before. So we look for ways to kind of numb ourselves and that can be many different things that we do. And what's interesting, I think, is that we can have what I call traumas, right? And we mm. could say that, you know, what happened to you when you were eight with your eyes was a trauma, right? Mm. Because all of a sudden it was okay and then the next minute it's not. Mm. And it would be so understandable for you as an eight-year-old going through that trauma that goes through all the elements that are connected to that trauma, which is, you know, I feel out of control, I feel really powerless, there's deep sadness because it's not the way I want it to be, there's mm. frustration, there's grief, there's worry about what's going to happen in the future, all those kind of things. Now, mm -hmm. when we often have a trauma, we usually just try and make that person be okay to get them through that thing. Yet actually a lot of what kind of creates trauma that's ongoing is the inability to feel all the feelings around what's actually happened to us. And so mm. what we learn to do is we kind of get to hold them on inside us. And then when we go through life and we're in similar situations where we feel threatened or we feel powerless or something big comes up, those traumas that have still been stuck in our body raise their head. Mm. And then it feels even more overwhelming and then we feel even more anxious or more worried or those kind of things. And so, uh, you know, I I'm, I love hearing that you have worked through many of the processes that would have happened for you when you were eight because there's no doubt that they will turn up in other aspects of your life. And yet sometimes what we do as humans is we get so stuck in our trauma or so stuck in the story that happened that we use it so that we don't actually have to interact in life or we don't ever have to reach our potential or we don't ever take risks or be out there in the world because that can often feel very scary. So we stay back in the trauma or the story and say, well, I can't because of this. Now, there is no judgment around that because I have a saying, we are always coming from protection, which means we are hardwired to keep ourselves safe. Yeah. You know, our number yeah. one job as a human is to say, oh, there's danger there, don't do that, keep yourself safe. Now, sometimes that looks like don't take a risk risk, you know, and and be creative because then people might judge me. So that might be scary. So don't do it. Or, um, you know, don't go follow my dreams and my passions because people might not approve of me or, you know, I might mess it up. So don't do it. It's better just to stay safe and stay doing stuff that I don't really love, but at least there's safety in it. And, mm. and we all do this as humans because we're all hardwired to come from a place of protection. 
But then often what happens is that feels so stifling being in that stuck place. Finally, we go, well, you know what? I'm going to take that risk because it can't be any worse than what it feels like here, feeling, you know, numb or stuck or just unhappy with where I am. And then we often take those risks and we say, oh, my God, it is safe to take a risk and I can do it and what's the worst that's going to happen? And and then we kind of keep growing and evolving from that. So, you know, I think we all have stories and traumas that happen in our lives, right? For you at eight, that was a big pivotal piece everybody has something it might be you know the death of a parent or something happens to a loved one or it might be that um you know we we hurt ourselves physically or there's a lot of stuff that can go on for all humans and we all have the ability and the potential to heal life and heal those things but if we don't have the tools and the support to do it we can get really stuck and then that's who we believe we are when actually you know we are a lot of infinite potential and possibility yeah, it's no, it's really well said, I think, because I found the problem with this um, safety as an idea that um, you create these patterns that you keep reinforcing. And the thing is, you have signs like anxiety, right? And I used it in the initial stage as something, an, ad- an additional thing that's gone wrong with me. I'm like, why me, right? Why mm. is this happening again? Like, isn't enough enough? But when you kind of flip it, which of course takes a lot of uh, taking a step back and looking at what's happening, when you flip it, you realize that the safety starts becoming more and more claustrophobic. It starts shrinking, as you said. Mm-hmm. And what um, what happens with this this thing, at least I, the problem I found is with going back to the trauma is these patterns build, right? So you have these, you depress the emotions, you're looking at life through this victim um, card or the, the victim perspective, saying, why me? Uh, the whole world is against me. My family uh, doesn't support me. I'm disabled. And then you kind of escalate, escalate. You don't, you repress these feelings and it bursts in this, whether it's the manifestation through a hammer, you get hammered and you do it when you're drunk or whatever it may be, the outburst, right? The out- And then people around you are like, oh, you know, he's, had the outburst again and i and i found the problem is that everything around you your relationships they kind of fit that pattern so your friends expect you to do that your family expects you to do this and then you and it, it the idea i'm just saying is it just keeps reinforcing so and if you get uh, married then the, your, your partner reacts in that way so you have to and that's something i want to ask you before this like with feelings as you repress them more and numb them more it gets harder to express, right? And and this is something I found it was so hard, but it's it's even one step to let go is terrifying at that stage. Yeah, absolutely. What you're saying is very true. Is that when we've never been modelled healthy ways to express our feelings? So often when I'm working with parents, I say, "So what happened for you when you were a little child? Like when you mm. got upset, or you were angry, or you were frustrated, or things didn't feel fair?" how did your parents respond to you? Now, Mm -hmm. some people might have been ignored. Some people might have been smacked or hit. Some may have been sent away. Some may have been just, you know, their back was turned on them. You know, we, a lot of the adults I work with weren't actually responded to in the way that they deeply desired. And part of, I think, changing some of our stories around parenting and how we can parent our children in a conscious way is beginning to understand that feelings just, all that they need to do is be felt and then let go. So we need to feel it for seven or eight minutes, just the upset, the anger, the tears, whatever it is, and then we can let it go. Yet so often our belief systems and narratives that we got around crying or being upset is that it's a sign of weakness Mm. and that you shouldn't be vulnerable, particularly for men. You know, you should 
shouldn't cry, yeah. don't be weak, be strong. And so therefore we are so conditioned by our culture that we often go that's not okay so we we learn not to do it and then then as you brought out then what happens is sometimes it comes out in aggression so that when we have this massive build-up of feelings inside us and then when someone makes fun of us or we feel powerless or we feel out of control then those feelings come pouring out in rage and anger and upset mm. and then what happens we get labeled oh look at them they're crazy or they're just yeah. too over the top all that kind of stuff and then it feeds this cycle again and so yeah. Yeah. what we're looking for is i guess adults who actually go you know what it is okay to feel and and um hey when i'm upset what do i do well i can call a friend and i can say hey can you just listen to me for 10 minutes because i feel really upset about this thing and i just need to talk about it and your friend says yes i'll just listen to you and, and your friend isn't there to fix you and they're not there to offer you advice they're just there to listen and so then as we talk or we express and maybe we have a cry and let it out well how mm. do we feel afterwards we usually feel much better because yeah. our nervous systems just reset it itself um, there's actually beautiful healing properties in tears when we cry and especially when we're being listened to by someone then what happens is our body comes back into a reset and then we don't have to keep numbing the feelings or we don't turn them into anger and so this is something that we have to learn to do as often as adults because it was not modeled to us and we're doing a lot of undoing which means we're having to kind of go back to well i was never taught how to do this i'm learning to do it now and then mm. the work i often do with families is the more we can do that for ourselves as adults then the easier it will be to do for our children as well so that when our children are upset we can take a deep breath and we can get down on the ground with them and go oh you're having a hard time tell me all about it and just allow those feelings to move because when there is safety for those feelings to move those feelings will move and then a child will come back into balance and then they're happy and then they're often usually cooperative and they'll go about their day mm. so i think as as a world as, as a human race we have been frightened of feelings for a very long time because it makes people uncomfortable and because a lot of us don't want to feel the hurts of what we felt from the past so we just mm. we keep working really hard to not feel it yet the way to i guess awareness mm. or a greater level of consciousness is through feeling we can't there's no way around it. You have to go through it, right? Yeah. And I think the thing is when we learn to actually do it in ways that feel safe for us, mm. then it can feel incredibly freeing. Yeah, you know, it's 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 amazing you said that because we have these uh, benchmarks that you have to sort of uh, live up to to be a parent, right? You have to be responsible. You have to be a provider. You have to be... Uh, you have to have a you have to have an income you have to have a home but no one asks about the emotional part like because someone asked me will you ever have um, have a kid this was many years back and at that point I was like oh I don't know and you know I would I would, I would be, make a dramatic statement like I don't think I can ever be read but I realized then no one checks if you are um, you know because I think a lot of times, there are a lot of parents who are so-called parents, but it's almost like children raising children. <laughs> oh, it so is. It so is. 100%. So, but no one looks at that. They only look at the material badge of being a parent. Uh, you have enough money to provide for that kid. And when you talk about even parents, they're like, oh, I have uh, this school, that international school, or that syllabus. I, I took my kid to this uh, holiday or that holiday. I provided with this particular kind of curriculum, This these kind of toys. But... No one's talking about, and, and you talk about these two important words, which is compassion and connection. And that's something which you, can't, if you can't develop with you and yourself, 
um, and you can't sort of be aware of that, it's very hard because it's very, uh, the patterns which you mentioned are passing on the buck, right? Oh, I can't handle it, let the iPad do it or let the game handle it. But yeah, uh, and I think yeah. yeah, I think what you you're saying. Sorry to interrupt you. You no, said yeah. we've been we've been taught to look outside of ourselves. Uh, mm. So we've we've been brought up in a world that says, well, the more money you have, then the more successful you must be, or mm. the way if you look like this, then you you know then people more people will approve of you. And mm. so we then carry that into parenting, going, well, if I send my child to the best school, then they'll be okay. Or if they yeah. they eat the best food, they'll be this. Or if they hang out with this type of person, then they will be okay. And actually, none of that really matters to children. What they want is connection, and they want their parents' presence and attention mm. and. And, and that is actually what helps them thrive because when a child feels seen and accepted for who they are, then they develop an innate knowing and also an innate connection to themselves that then they learn to follow their truth, they follow their heart, um, they are able to speak their feelings freely. That's when we see more healthy relationships and that's often where we see more successful people. And it comes back to having that beautiful connection and acceptance of who they are is okay. I mean, you can spend thousands of dollars on sending your child to the right school, but if they're feeling deeply connect, uh, disconnected from you and from their spirit and who they are, then they might get a good education, but they could be a very unhappy human. And we have an abundance of that in India because it's all about um, getting the MBA, getting the mm-hmm. right MBA from the right place. And it's about, yes. oh, you know, celebrate. Oh, he got 99% in his exams. Yes. He's a good human being. Yes. And yes. it's terribly sad because many, many people, even in the older generation, retire at 65 and realize, wait a second, who am I, right? Yes. Um, I was rewarded for all these things. You were the top student. You were, um, you had three cars. You provided a great home. You were the CEO, but mm-hmm. they don't know who they are. Yes. And I wanted to ask you, um, did, have you noticed with you said feelings it's so important to let that 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 feeling run through you right like i had a a doctor on this podcast a few months back and she talks about this thing called the whole brain living where you have different parts of the brain and certain emotions come up and how they're processed by different parts that are different and she says like when an emotion starts it takes the cycle takes about 90 seconds to run through your body so and that's kind of resonated with what you said feel it right and we use the word feel so loosely now where one side people are numbing their feelings by going to all these different um, kind of places to find solace, whether it's online gaming or alcohol or drugs. But the other side, you have people on the internet just saying, I'm upset. My feelings are hurt. I'm offended. So is it completely the wrong use of words or it's just people are saying the right thing without feeling it? Yeah. That's a really good question. I think, again, we we all can make words. We all mm. have a relationship with words and make them mean what we want to make them mean. I think if you're on the internet saying, I'm outraged and I'm frustrated, then I would yeah. question what your motive is of what are you wanting from people to go, oh, you poor thing and that's not yeah. fair and I will champion your cause as well. Or, you know, I often find that when we're having to announce how we're feeling to the greater world, then there's usually something else that's driving that. Mm. Because if we were to really Really feel sometimes and it we would probably be pretty quiet and personal and we might share it with one other person and yeah. and and we would feel the vulnerability of it but I think we're very good at bypassing the feeling and talking about the outrage and then we get validation for the outrage yeah. so I think it's 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 very nuanced and and look I, again it kind of comes back to most of us haven't been taught how to feel our feelings in a healthy way and mm. so when we feel a bit upset well what do I need I want to know that people care about me so I'll put it in 
internet. And then if I get, you know, 30 people messaging me back going, you poor thing, then, you know, our ego goes, okay, yeah, well, they must love me then because I'm upset. And actually we've probably bypassed the feelings of what we're actually meant to be feeling yeah. because we're all about, well, am I enough? Do people love me? You yeah. know, what? And, and so I think, like as you said before, sometimes it's a child doing the parenting. Um, you know, many <laughs> yeah. of us are still kind of the wounded child walking around in adult bodies and yeah. we're still kind of in that wounded story that often says, am I enough? Do you love me just the way I am? You know, is who I am okay in the world? Like they're the kind of core issues that most of our pain comes back to. Yeah, it's, it's, it's you know, when you're in that, it's so hard to... Uh, when people, especially people who care, tell you it's so easy to resist and uh, and you push back. Uh, you don't know anything, you know, because uh, t- 45 people on Instagram said I'm right. You know, they, they, they yes. validated my post. And then when people who actually care about you, like your parents or your wife or your sister or your husband or whoever it may be, when they say, hey, listen, it may be a bit much. You, you need to sort of take mm-hmm. a step back and look at it. And you're like, no, you don't know anything. So you kind of alienate yourself from the most important support system and in many cases that support system is not even connected to you right because you might say i have parents i might have siblings but it's they're all in the same couch watching 30 different things right yeah Yeah. and i think there's a beautiful point that you bring up is that it 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 can feel really painful having to feel some of these deeper things right and a lot of us don't willingly lean into it like we spend most of our life avoiding it if we can and so there's a good reason because it feels painful because you know we don't we're worried it's going to bring up other things and so i think we we look really hard to deflect from that or we look to blame someone else for why we're feeling the way we feel or and i think that that takes a level of maturity and consciousness to actually lean into the feelings and say yeah I feel deeply sad or I feel really hurt because I didn't get my needs met here or I was misunderstood in these ways and our job is just to feel those parts and be really compassionate to those younger parts of us to the eight-year-old you you know who Mm. was really maybe struggling with what was happening and and just say oh gosh that that was a really hard thing that happened and send them a love a lot of compassion and and kindness to it because compassion and and particularly when there's no judgment is the way that we feel the feeling safely so we can then let us move on. If we move in with judgment and criticism and I shouldn't be weak and why do I feel like that and I'm not a good person, we're going to perpetuate this negative linking cycle that is around I'm not enough, I'm not good enough, and then that actually then often makes us far more judgmental of others as well. So the more compassionate we can be to us, to our own stories, the more compassionate it allows us to be to others as well. No, it's 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 a, it's such a compl- complex set of things, right? Because if if you actually in a situation feel what that situation made you feel, you almost let it go. But if you put your uh, whatever it may be the 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 ego, if you want to call it, or the way you look at life, or you, if you look at it through this particular card that you are always flaunting, that the feeling doesn't have a place to go. It's almost like the mm. the drain is blocked and. Uh, you're in a very interesting space because you have to talk to parents about their kids and for parents, especially in a lot of today's society, their kid is their resume, right? So in many ways, <laughs> if the kid is wrong or the kid is a bit of a mess, it's like the parent has failed. And a lot of times, I don't know how how your experience has been, but I, I'm, not, I'm not a therapist, but I'm just saying when, I, when, when you talk about a child to a parent, it's almost like they come with their ego on the line. So 
you can't get through to them objectively because the moment you say anything, like say for instance, you know your kid has too much screen time, they're not listening to it as your kid is watching stuff which is not good. It's like you have ruined your child. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So the entire the question is going into the brain or into their thing with a very different intent. So how do you um, deal? How do you get past that? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I come to it with a lot of compassion. I mean, mm. whenever I work with parents, one of the first things I say is like, I have three children, right? They're adults mm-hmm. now. One's still a teenager, but yeah. the other two are adults. And I often say to parents, everything that you've stuffed up or messed up with the kids I've done, there is yeah. no perfect parent, right? We're all mm. doing the best job we know how. So yeah. I firstly come from a place of deep compassion and empathy for for adults and for parents because I know how hard it is raising children and I know how doubly hard it is raising them with some level of awareness. So yeah. I always come from the human place, which is that this is tricky and there is no perfect. And I love to remind parents that we are often parenting in a way that was done to us. So the way that we were raised, perhaps that was very authoritarian, maybe it was very permissive. Either what we'll do is copy those patterns or we swing so far to the other direction because we're like, I'm never going to be like my dad or I'm never going to be like my mom. And and we kind of swing too far in the other direction and actually don't find the middle ground, the balance. And so, again, I always come to it going, remember, we're doing the best job we know how. Now, our beautiful children are going to have stuff. They have to because it's how they grow and it's how they learn. There is no perfect child. It doesn't matter if you get them in bed perfect time every night and feed them all the best food and take them to the best school they are a human and the human experience is messy and so they are going to have times where they might hit another child or they're not going to get picked in the team or they're going to mess up and make a mistake and what our children need to know in those times and spaces is that we've got their back, that we're beside them, that we're like, hey, we all make mistakes. I make mistakes all the time. And so I want you to know that, hey, it's just part of learning and I love you no matter what. Mm. So when I kind of frame it like that, parents, I think, can often go, okay, well, there's a bit more wiggle room here because I know I'm not perfect. And then I often say to them, and you have to remember, you know, that you are parenting from a place usually that's connected to your own wounds. So that Mm. means that Maybe there's stuff that happened to you when you were a child that didn't feel good. And when we become a parent, often our children will behave in certain ways that bring all those feelings up for us. And so we have reactions as well. So parenting is messy. It's super, super messy. And here's the thing about children is children in their unique spirit kind of come along. And actually what they're saying to us is, you know what, parents, I don't want your unconscious baggage. I don't want all the stuff you haven't dealt with placed on my shoulders. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to behave in certain ways to push your buttons, Mm. you know, to mirror back to you your stuff that you need to work on because it's not mine to carry. Because one of the greatest gifts we can give our children is the sense of being free to be who they need to be. Now, the way we do that is by looking at our own wounds and our own stories so we don't project that onto our kids. So, you know, Mm. if you grew up in a house, right, where there was this incredible pressure you must be successful you must be successful at all costs right and then in your being you're like oh my god i have to be good at everything so you 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 know you just keep striving and striving and striving even if it's not something you love you know this this need for approval is so great you often abandon who you are or what you really love in order just to get this approval and then you know you might achieve in some places and maybe you get approval maybe you don't and then you have children and then we're passing on that story again oh my god i'm going to be a good parent only if you're a good child and only if you're successful and you do this and you do that and then we just continue this cycle and then children yeah 
Yeah, then children will actually go, hey, I don't want this. This is not mine. And they they mirror it back to you. So they might be like, I don't like studying. I'm not going to do that. Or I don't want to, I want to play sport all the time. And you're like, no, you should get good grades. And, and so what happens is there's this conflict that happens. And a lot of the time it's the parent's story saying, I am only going to be okay if you tick all these boxes, right? Or if you behave this certain way, or if you live up to this standard, then then I will still be okay. Whereas the truth and the reality is this, is that every single child who is born is born enough, right? They yeah. do not have to look a certain way, get good grades, behave in a certain way to be worthy of love. Every single child who is born is worthy of love simply because you are a human. And part of, I think, the doing the work as an adult is is really leaning into that conditioning and that patterning and going, actually, does this serve me or not? Now, sometimes it's very hard to shift because the cultural imprints are so strong in us. We're like, but, but people might judge me and will I not be accepted if I don't? But part of changing these generational patterns that perhaps don't serve us is doing the work as an adult to heal some of those stories. And then we can see our beautiful children in front of us and we say, Go be who you need to be in the world. Oh, that's beautiful. I think um, that in itself, I think, will help a lot of people, not just parents. Because I think um, what happens is that you get so caught up in your own narrative, right? And then you feel judged in that narrative like, oh, um, especially in the information age where there's a podcast for everything. There's a YouTube video on every aspect of life how to be the best parent or how to be the best child or how to be the best influencer baby or whatever they're doing and <laughs> the strange thing is it it, it is i mean it it, it 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 what you just said is what i would love every parent to tell their child but it isn't the case right it isn't the reality but i wanted to understand um you know as i told as i was mentioning to you i have a, I have a three-month-old and last night she was really struggling and um she was you know my wife was trying to put her to to bed and she was howling and it was very hard to see them cry and she's only three months she doesn't talk she doesn't have any social conditioning at least to a very large extent but it's very difficult and you automatically use the tool of blame right you're like what did you eat or uh what's what's wrong that's led to this in many cases it's not the the, the case right it's not anything that's gone wrong that's thing they're just babies and they're new to this world and they need to think but um, I want to sort of use that as a, a way to understand, like in where you live in Australia, um, it's basically the parent, the mother, the father, or mother, the mother, depending on the family setup, and the child. And in many cases, when you work with them, you work with two or three people, you either work with the parents and the kid. Uh, in India, it's a lot more extended family being involved, whether it's grandparents or the uncles in the joint family, maybe even more. So while you might get through to the parents and say, hey, you know, this is what it is and what you just said, which will, of course, change their perspective and their approach to their child. What do you do with the the, the various other elements that also play a role? Like, because the parent and the child might be fine, but the parent and his parent or the parent and his uncle or the parent and his sibling might have an issue, which might be another extension, which will mm -hmm. come back to affect the, the child-parent relationship. Yes, yes, it's very tricky. Yeah. It's it's interesting, you know, we 
when we look at families, we often play certain roles in our family. So, you know, depending mm. sometimes on what order you were born or your family kind of makeup, you know, one child might play the good boy or the good girl. Mm. The other one might be the rebel. The other one might be, you know, taking care of everybody's feelings all the time. Someone else might be, you know, the one that's, you know, feels responsible to make their parents happy. You know, we we all kind of play different roles and part of that is learning, I guess, about ourselves and what we do. And, yes, then when we have a family unit, we often, when we are with our family, will slot back into that role that we've been conditioned to believe. Mm. Now, even as adults, we can sometimes like, I don't want to be the good boy anymore. I don't want to be the, you know, the naughty one or that kind yeah. of stuff. But it's very hard when we go back into our family of origin to hold our centre. And then it becomes extra hard when everybody's got an opinion on what they think you should do to really, you know, stay connected. And so often I say to parents is that when you get uh, advice, and this still happens in Australia, it can be in-laws or grandparents or that kind of stuff often have something to say around your new baby or whatever. I often say to parents to say things like, thank you so much for your suggestion. I'll take that on board. And then that's it. (laughs) You just leave it there and then you do it how you want to do it, Mm. right? Because if we sometimes when we come back with, well, we're trying this technique and I've read this book and read that, people want to come in with why the way they did it is right, right? Whether you believe it or not, everyone wants to justify the way that they do it and the way they think. And this is not just about parenting. This is about everything. This is about what food you should eat. This is how you should exercise. This is the job you should do. Everyone's got an opinion. Everyone loves to share their opinion even when it's not asked for. So, So, So one of the trickiest things is as a parent is just to go, thank you so much. I'll I'll take that on board. And then you actually just do it, tune into what feels right for me. You know, when I used to work a lot with new parents, I worked in childbirth for a long time and in that postnatal period. And I used to say to parents all the time, part of the first initiation into parenthood, sorry, into parenthood is learning to trust your intuition as as to what is right for your child, Mm. because you are the one that are with them the most, right? And you are getting to learn to know who they are, you know, every time you kiss your beautiful child or smell them or hold them and all that kind Mm. of stuff, we have these beautiful pheromones that happen in our bodies that help us stay connected and bonded and all that kind of gorgeous stuff. And all those things help us to intuitively tune into what does my child need? You know, we know so so many times when mothers just go, something's wrong with my child, I can tell they're unwell. And even if doctors are like, no, they're fine, the mother's like, no, there's something wrong. And then sure enough, there can be something wrong, right? We're, We're meant to be connected to them in that way. It's called attunement. That's what it's about. And so I think the thing that's really important when we become parents is to remember that it's your job to be attuned to your child, right? It's your job to trust your intuition and your gut as to what feels right for this beautiful little being. And one of the hardest things to do is to block out the noise around us. But at the end of the day, learning in that first year of parenting, it's all about attunement and really tuning in and learning who this little person is so you can help them thrive in the world. And that that's what your job is to do. And that's why it sometimes feels tricky because it takes a bit of time. And also we get influenced by all this external noise mm. telling us different ways and so if we blocked out that noise on some level and went well what does my gut say and what does this feel then that's what we should listen to yeah you know it's it, it's it's almost like there is a definition like everything else right like your um like for, for the words but um the society is sort of labeled with son equals this daughter equals this husband equals this wife equals this and in similarly, parent, it's almost like there are a definite set of traits that you have to display for other people. Say, you're a great parent. But 
I just really appreciate what you just said because it's almost like screw that. You don't have to do all the, the right things because people have told you that that's what a parent must be. But it's more like your child's here and there's no better person to teach you how to be a parent or be play the role of a parent than your kid. So instead of looking out and saying that's what they told me to do to the kid or to help my child, you look at the child and say what can I do in in some way, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, this is our job as parents is actually to get a little bit quiet and still and attune into our child to see what is it they're showing me. So I often talk, you know, with a little baby, they're often, you know, close to you and you're with them. But if it's a three-year-old or a six-year-old or a 10-year-old, I often say to parents, when they walk into the room, do this kind of little scan of them. Like, where are they in their bodies? Are they in balance? Are they feeling good? Are they chatty? Are they happy? Are they relaxed in their bodies? Are they playing with their siblings kindly? Or are they out of balance? Can you see that there's something off? Are they starting to pick a fight with their brother? Are they, you know, really not wanting to be cooperative? Like, can you see? And when they're out of balance, our job is to tune into them to help them move back into balance. And sometimes they do that through playfulness, through laughing, through a bit of connection. Sometimes it's through setting a limit so that they might push up against it and have a big cry and there's some big hurts that they're needing to release so they can come back into balance so our job is to be attuned to them and in Mm. order to be attuned to them we sometimes need to slow down right we sometimes need to get a bit quiet in ourselves to go well where is my child but when we're juggling work and emails and cooking dinner and all the things it's very hard to often tune into our children so i think particularly in the early years of raising kids if we can do it in a way where when we are with our children, we can slow down a bit, then we can stay Mm. attuned and connected to them, which then will support them to be who they need to be. And that's often where we have a much much more harmonious family because Mm. when we are rushing, when we're not connected, a child at some point is going to be like, I need to get my needs met here. And so sometimes they do that through behaviour. You know, they fight or they have big tantrums or they do stuff to try and get your attention because they're like, I need your presence. I need you to help me whereas if we can kind of be proactive of just like hey i haven't my child's been at school all day so when we get home we need to have some connection time so maybe we play for half an hour and we laugh and we giggle and we reconnect and that may be what my child needs just to feel in balance and feel close to me again so there's many things that we can do to stay connected to our kids and i think a lot of the time it comes back to often slowing down enough so we can see it yeah you know, actually, when I, when, I, when I was talking to you earlier, you're such a good listener that suddenly I was like, is my internet working? Are you still there? Like, I was, <laughs> you're, you're so good at listening. So I was just like, you know, I couldn't really tell if there was, um, you were still there or I've lost you because you're just so quiet and listening well. So it's <laughs> nice to talk to someone. Like, I interrupt a lot. And, and, you know, we live in this information age and it's almost like everyone has to spout information. As you mentioned, right? Everyone has an opinion. And, and, Everyone, even within the family, it's like, you know, for instance, I, I, I like reading up, uh, listening to podcasts or an audio book. And the other day, my wife was like, we were talking about colic and how the baby, um, a, a little girl is struggling with certain things. And I, I was telling my wife, Nivy, I was like, Nivs, you know, I was listening to the badass breastfeeding podcast. And on that day, so she's like, can you just <laughs> shut up? <laughs> can you? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a bit yeah. of this kind of like, oh, you know what? Uh, I read this article in The Guardian. She's like, just shut up. <laughs> I'm like, okay. 
yes. I'm Sometimes that guy. there is too much information, but I love that you are invested and that you're like, hey, how can I help you? And I'll listen to this information. It's beautiful because <laughs> as parents, we need to support each other. We so need yeah. to support each other, especially, you know, when you've had a new baby and in that first year, more than ever, we need support and we need to be a team because yeah. it's it's really, it's a huge life change, you know, having a baby and figuring out who you are as a parent. And I often say you become a servant to this little being. Yeah. And yeah. so that's really full on. And so when we can do it as a partnership and a team, it can make such a difference because we we then don't feel so alone and we feel, you know, we, we can actually, you know, work through stuff to support our little ones. So I think it's beautiful that you did that. I think that's yeah. so lovely. And as if you look at my, my Spotify playlist, it's like, you know, Dad University podcast, Badass Breastfeeding <laughs> podcast. <laughs> awesome. I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, I, 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 I mean, um, this idea of emotional maturity is what we've been talking about. But we, you know, I, I just want to understand if you could paint a bit of a picture of the direction our society is heading. I don't know if we, it's too broad a brushstroke for you to paint, but with the scenario we're creating with um, not much looking like it's changing. Of course, people like you are helping on the individual family level um, for people to realize what this entire conversation should sound like in their own mind before they sort of take it uh, to parenting or take it to the larger unit. But with the, like for instance, let's look at India as an example, right? Because it's a, it, it's a country on the rise when it comes to, I don't know whatever people mean by that, uh, economically more a stronger middle class. You have more access to education. You have more uh, issues of equality being addressed. You have empowerment of women, which are all fantastic things. At the same time, the values that people represent for each of these steps in progress are more material in some way, right? It's like they have better jobs, so there's more money. They have um, more access to education. That means better jobs. That means more money. They have more money. It means better homes. So there's a lot more I notice. Like, for like, can I just give you an example? Like, for instance, like you have people in India who have help at home, and it's it's a very common thing because uh, we have a lot of labor which isn't expensive unlike in australia where maybe 30 dollars an hour minimum wage here it's a lot cheaper right so people can afford two three people helping at home so the the, the maids or the, the the house help whatever the word you want to call them whatever's politically correct uh, they have children now and the children have smartphones because say for instance they have a job which pays ten thousand rupees instead of appreciating that 10,000 and here this is, comes without judgment right I'm not saying mm. I have this so they shouldn't mm -hmm. have it but mm -hmm. and imagine if I go tell that person who's now suddenly uh, seen a salary hike from 10 to 20,000 rupees um, mm. don't spend all your money on smartphones enjoy be in the moment and they're like screw you I've never seen this I want to enjoy life I want to I want to eat a sandwich I want to eat fast food I want to eat sugary foods which I might have experienced and gone, you know what? I've had enough of it. I know it's bad for me. I want to eat healthy, right? So I'm just saying mm -hmm. all these double standards, if you want to call it. But at the same time, a kid who's sitting in lower income or maybe even in poverty has access to a smartphone, has access to cheap internet. Um, and you see this across uh, developing countries because that's how they believe that's empowering the population, give them mm -hmm. access to online, uh, online content. So while that's a very noble idea, the flip side of that is they are seeing things that they cannot get. Mm. And that's, I mean, I know just in from people I know personally, like someone the other day is like, yeah, my husband's or my stepson um, almost killed himself because he couldn't handle it. 
So mm. it's it's how do you uh, this answer? I'm sorry, I don't know if it was a question or just more of an observation, but w- what's the direction you see, and what's something we can do um, besides, of course, to our own kids as parents, but in our own sort of little community, maybe what what is the things that you are seeing that are healthy, that are unhealthy, and the direction that we're heading in? It's a good question. I don't know if I can uh, <laughs> come up with the four step plan of what we should do. No, no, no. I, I, I'll yeah. give it a go. <laughs> Just two steps. I, I don't yeah, think my listeners can go through more than two steps. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I look. I think that the way I see it, and, and I'll look at it from the perspective of where I am in Australia for a moment, mm-hmm. is that yes, I'm, I'm absolutely hearing you about the demographic of children having access to the internet and seeing stuff that they potentially can't have. The same thing still happens here in Australia. Mm. You know, we have children that are seeing stuff. And I, I often talk, I was doing a talk the other night at a secondary school, so a, a high school for, for mm. parents, and I was saying, talking about the mental health of our teenagers and how it's really challenging because when we were growing up and we were teenagers, we would compare ourselves to the kids at our school or the ones we caught the bus with, whereas our children are comparing themselves to the world constantly. Mm. So we're always in this comparison, am I enough? Am I good enough? Do I look pretty enough? You know, do I, am I smart enough? Like all, all this stuff, right? So materialism has always been there in the world. It's, mm. you know, we live in that in that kind of world. It's just been turned up. The dial's been turned up a lot yeah. as far as, you know, thanks to advertising and marketing and media and access to the internet that says, you are only enough if you are this. So I always come back to the the biggest influence we have on our children is at home. So the biggest influence we have is what we model, Mm. what we show them. So when when we're angry, what do we do? We might say, I'm feeling really angry, I'm going to go for a run or I'm going to put on a song that makes me do angry dancing and, you know, I'm going to get my feelings out that way. Or when you're sad, you're like, you know, I'm going to call a friend because it helps when I can talk to them. Or, you know, I, I really you know, I would love to purchase these things. I'm going to work hard for it. I'm going to find creative ways to do it. What do we model to our children about who we are as humans in the world? And Mm. that is still one of the biggest influences we have, right? So our children are going to be exposed to the world and, you know, one of the things I think that is helpful is that when our child does come back and go, gosh, I wish I looked like this, or I wish I had that. It was, and it's, you know, our job is not to go, oh, don't be silly. That doesn't mean anything. And, you know, why would you want to be like them? Our job is to go, I can really get that. Yeah. You you know, what is it about that that looks appealing to you? Or what do you think mm. that would make you feel if you had that? It's not telling them they're wrong. It's not distracting them. It's actually opening up a conversation to say, yeah, what do you think that would mean? And then again, we kind of model and guide well do you know what i found in my life is that no matter what things we have sometimes it actually doesn't make us happy we have to feel like we're connected to ourselves and to those people that we love and i don't think we can discount how how much we model to our children and the impact and the influence they that we have now they're still going to be exposed to stuff in schooling or in other places in the world but what we model to our children and how we turn up for them still is the biggest influence on where kids are in the world. Now, yeah. I also feel our education system needs to change a lot. So I actually opened a school last year because I was so passionate about creating 
emotional awareness in children. And so we really looked at how our education system is so devoid of that. And it's all yeah. about power and control and and not giving children choice and autonomy and and not leaning into them to see how they learn best and um, not giving them agency and all that kind of stuff. And so we mm. created a school that really focused on that and also really supported their emotional selves so that if a child's upset, we're like, okay, you're upset, let's help you. You know, do you need to go outside and move your body? Do you want to tell me, have a cry and tell us what's going on? We welcome all of the parts of the child. And what's extraordinary is we see the incredible development in children, not just in their learning, but in their sense of self. So my wish would be that we begin to change our education system as well so that Mm. we have, again, still greater influence on what's happening. But it always comes back to what do we model to our children? You know, I talk about something called imprints, which is everybody takes on imprints from the world. So in the family of origin we grew up, we looked at the parents or our grandparents around us and we go, well, how do we navigate relationships? Oh, it looks like this. You yell at the person you love. Okay, that's what relationships are. You yell at someone you love. Or do we look at what it is to do a job we love? No, you don't do a job you love. You only do jobs that are safe. Okay, that's what a job is. You know, like mm. we we have it with everything from our relationship to money, to relationships, to sex, to, to eating, body image, to emotions, everything. And so I think what's really powerful is that we have the ability to imprint our children in the way that is going to serve them. So I often say to parents, who do you want your child to become? Like tell me the teenager or the young adult you want. Do you want a young adult who, you know, speaks their mind, who stands up for things that are wrong, who is kind and compassionate, who is empathetic, who is all these things? Well, if that's who you want, are you being that? Because they are watching you. You are their teacher. And so if we want them to be that in the world, where do we need to lean into where our stories are? Ah, That's beautifully said. And I'm so glad you've opened a school. I think I'm going to be moving to Victoria in the next few years. (laughs) Please hold a seat. Not for my kid, for me. (laughs) I often have so many parents who come and say, I wish I could go back to school because school mm. was was not a great experience for them and they got mm. shamed or they got punished or they got bullied or all those things. And, you know, my deep belief in all the work I do is that every child should feel safe and yeah. every child, you know, has the right to choice and autonomy and to be heard. And so I take a really strong stand for that in the world and in my work that I do. And so we want to create examples of what that could look like. And a lot of the time when we're looking at doing that, it starts with the adults. We have to do the work as the adults Mm. so we can turn up for our children in that way. No, it's amazing. And I'm so glad that people like you and uh, the work you do, is it's so important because even schools are in, 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 I mean, I talk about India because that's my frame of reference and more specifically Bangalore. It's, it's as you said, as we spoke about in the beginning, it's a status, right? Like this international school and, and the fees aren't reasonable by any means, right? Of course, mm-hmm. this is across different segments of society, you have different price points, but it's, and then of course, someone's like, oh, no, my, my child goes to the Waldorf system or my child goes to Montessori. It's just like, <laughs> you, yeah. you say it's it without, fe- <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, but I'm so glad that you're, uh, you took the time to share what um, you've experienced with your uh, with your clients or with the with the stories you've heard and the experiences you've had in your career, and more importantly, the the great work you're doing. And I really appreciate you joining me today, Lail. Um, Lail, I got it right. Uh, so thank you um, <laughs> for being uh, such an amazing guest on today's episode. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure to speak to you. 
Lovely. And uh, if there's any other parenting tip I need, I'm going to be, um, your number's going to be on speed dial. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have, just to share, I have a podcast called The Aware Parenting Podcast. And um, we talk about all these topics on our podcast. We talk about everything from feeling guilt as a parent to what happens when our kids hit someone else to how we deal with big feelings and emotions to relationships. So we have a have many episodes on there that talk kind of around a lot of the stuff that I've shared with you today. Fantastic. So badass breastfeeding. There you go. Here comes aware parenting. <laughs> Thank you so much, Leil. Appreciate you Thank joining you. me today. My pleasure. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you like what you heard, please do check out the other episodes on YouTube or wherever you get your podcast. And I would much appreciate it if you could like the video, share it with people who you think might enjoy it. And of course, do subscribe to the channel because it will help me and the podcast grow and reach more people just like you. So thanks again. Appreciate it.